Welcome to the Keeping the Dream Alive podcast brought to you by Torch Technologies. In this podcast, you will learn about all things Torch, from its history to its culture, employee ownership, commitment to the warfighter, our community involvement, and so much more. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and stay connected with Torch by following us on all your social media platforms. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you enjoy the Keeping the Dream Alive podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Keeping the Dream Alive podcast. Today, I sit down to talk with Brad Walker, the president of Torch Technologies. Thank you so much for sitting down and talk with me today. So, Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be a fun conversation. There was a lot of research to do, so I'm excited to kind of sit down and chat with you. So first, let's take a little bit of your background prior to joining Torch in 2006. So I saw you got an electrical engineering degree from UAB. Are you originally from the Birmingham area? What kind of interested you in pursuing an electrical engineering degree? And kind of let's start there. Yeah. So I grew up in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and I was really interested in sports. And from the time I was 11 years on, I played tennis every day. (laughs) And so I played in tournaments and I was trying to decide where I was going to go to school. I was being recruited by multiple different colleges. I ended up looking and going with UAB. I knew the coach there. And I was excited about the opportunity to go into the Birmingham area. Okay. So electrical engineering was my decision because <laughs> that's what my father did. Okay. And I enjoyed math. So it was really that simple. So it was a combination of those two things that drawed me into UAB. There were other schools I was looking at, mm-hmm. like Florida State, for example. They did not have an electrical engineering program, okay. so I didn't choose there. Yeah. So, I mean, besides sort of touring the school at UAB and kind of first coming, was that the sort of your first experience to UAB or had you been to Birmingham prior to sort of looking for colleges? Yes, I had been to Birmingham. I traveled there. I would play tennis tournaments there. I'd been there on recruiting trips with the UAB team. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was very familiar with it. So I saw that you graduated from UAB in 1985 and you ended up actually coming to Huntsville to work for Nichols Research in 1990. But did you have some jobs prior to starting at Nichols Research and kind of what was your career path leading up to Nichols? Yes. So the first four and a half years, I worked for a privately owned company called SRS Technologies Defense Contractor. After that, I went to Dynetics for about a year and a half. And then I followed some of my friends over to (laughs) Nichols Research. Okay. So, I mean, I guess as soon as you finished sort of your schooling at UAB, you ended up just moving up to Huntsville to kind of pursue electrical engineering just because there was a lot of job opportunities here? Yeah, really. I was familiar with Huntsville just being down the road, you know, 100 (laughs) miles. And at that time, Ronald Reagan was the president. And he initiated the Star Wars program, which was a ballistic missile defense shield. And so he was giving speeches on those. I watched those. And when I was in college there my last year, and that's what I knew I wanted to do. And so I knew Huntsville was a place that that kind of work was very heavy. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of targeted Huntsville. I had contacts here that were able to get me interviews and get me up here into Huntsville. So and I spent most of my career in the ballistic missile defense. Yeah. Area. Obviously, Huntsville's continuing to grow like crazy. I mean, even in the last five years, Huntsville's looked different than what it was. And I couldn't even imagine just thinking through your professional career has been in Huntsville. And so seeing Huntsville grow as you're growing and changing positions is probably a pretty cool thing to see. So it looks like you worked at Nichols Research, which has a huge sort of legacy as far as where Torch is now, the location, kind of how Torch came to be. But you worked at Nichols from 1990 to 2000. Can you talk a little bit about the, your time there? and how those experiences and ultimately the connections there kind of helped you pursue that career at Torch. Yeah, so the first three years that I was working at Nichols, I spent actually in another contractor's facility. 
And then something happened where they lost that work and it actually ended up at Nichols and I ended up managing that work. So that was really the beginning of my management career in a significant fashion. And it wasn't too long after that that I met Bill Rourke. Okay. And so that was probably about, I'm going to say, 1993, 94, somewhere in there. And that was kind of when the trajectory really changed a lot. (laughs) I met him and I could immediately see something special, something different. His business acumen, his knowledge, his ability to motivate people. And he always operated with ethics. So it wasn't long before I was working for Bill. And that really started the trajectory that I'm on today in terms of Torch Technologies, and just the amount of things that I've learned by working with Bill. So when you first met Bill at Nichols, were y'all in similar positions or was he in the leadership role and you were sort of just coming up or sort of how did that dynamic work when you first met him? Right. So Bill was in a leadership role and I was underneath him. So I was managing a group and he was running a business unit and I moved into his business unit and ran a division for him. So that was kind of the start of that. (laughs) But I had a lot to learn. And I watched Bill over the years as he's progressively, continually increased his business capabilities. And it's been an amazing run to watch that happen and how now he has evolved so much beyond just the defense work that we were doing now into the real estate part and then other side businesses that he has and Starfish Holdings and all of that. So my initial intuition about (laughs) gravitating towards Bill was a pretty good one. Yeah, I would say so. So you joined Torch officially in 2006. You were just a member of the technical staff, kind of ground level at the time. What did you know about Torch at that time, especially regarding the company's culture and sort of the ESOP that would later become a huge part of the identity of Torch? Right. So I would go to lunch with Bill regularly after he started Torch in 2002. So I'd say we went out to lunch about every quarter. Okay. And so I was very much keenly watching Torch. I knew in the back of my mind that I would end up at Torch. There was no other consideration for me when I was sitting there. Computer Sciences Corporation, CSC, had acquired Nichols in 2000, and it was not the smoothest transition. (laughs) And so it was just a matter of time. It was really a timing thing for me. I had two young daughters at the time. In the early days, Torch didn't have medical insurance. And I was nervous about making that transition at, at that point in time. So there was a point where it did become the right time for me to do the transition. Every time we ate lunch, Bill would end the conversation the same way. When are you coming to Torch? <laughs> he always knew in the back of the head, too, that he was like, he's going to come eventually. It's just a matter of when. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was just him setting that up to pursue me. And he did this with everybody that he brought in <laughs> similarly at the time. And so when the day came, when I knew the right opportunity was, I just picked up the phone and called Bill and said, hey, I'm ready. I'm on my way. What did the company culture look like in 2006 when you first joined? And how does the company culture in the ESOP compare to 2006 when you first joined compared to now after you've done 17 plus years here at Torch? So Torch was much smaller back then. I'd say about 90 employees. So we didn't quite have the reputation. I was an outsider. I didn't really know that much about the culture. I knew that about the ESOP. But to be honest with you, I moved totally on faith. Okay. And that was based on my relationship with Bill over time. And knowing that he does the right thing, he was telling me about this ESOP and how it was such a great and wonderful <laughs> thing. But it's one of those things, it wasn't tangible to really? me at okay. that time, but I believed in Bill. And so he told me what he had put together 
was going to be very beneficial for all the employees. At that time, it was so early in the yeah. formation of that. It was difficult to really quantify that and clarify it. So you, sometimes you just make a leap on faith. I'm assuming you knew a little bit about ESOPs. I guess at the time you were at Dynetics for that short stint. I mean, Dynetics was an employee-owned company as well. Right. And so you at least knew a little bit of it, but obviously you weren't there long enough to see that impact. And there wasn't a ton of companies at that time in Huntsville that had been in ESOP long enough to see, hey, here's what the benefits could be. That's right. And I don't think at that time Dynetics was really communicating that much about the ESOP okay. in terms of the messaging of what that meant. And it's one of those things where you need to communicate that. And two, I think you just see it over time and you don't understand it until you experience it for a period of time. And we've really worked hard here with the culture. And that's always been a part of it, clearly, that it brings together. But Bill and Don did some things that really did kind of structure that in such a way to magnify the culture aspect mm -hmm. of it. You've obviously had work experience prior to joining Torch. You'd worked in different companies, worked at Nichols, you worked at a couple of companies right out of college. What did that first couple of years at Torch look like? Did you notice that company culture completely shift from what you envisioned as a company culture could be from that first couple of years at Torch as Torch is growing? Like you said, a part of the culture and kind of jumping all in. Yeah. So several things. One was my first year in the company was almost just a complete shock. <laughs> first of all, it, it was how intensely focused everybody was on pursuing business and going after new business opportunities. It was far more advanced and aggressive than <laughs> what I had been at at all my other companies. And I was thinking, how can this be? It's a smaller company, but yet they've got so many people focused on this and they are laser focused mm -hmm. on this. And so it took me a whole year just to <laughs> adjust to that. I bet. And to figure out how to fit into that. Mm -hmm. And then the culture aspect of it, the way Bill set up the system there was he incentivized the management team to work together. At other companies, you'll see that the incentive systems are based on typically individual business unit or operating organizations, their success in terms of revenue, profit, and headcount. And you can get into a situation where you have competition between business units because there's always business, there's overlaps in business areas. That's mm -hmm. not unusual. So that can have your business leaders actually in competition with each other, which can create a very poor culture. Mm -hmm. So Bill and Dom were very thoughtful about that. And they set aside and said, look, you're going to be rewarded for working together. And so that became a significant part of the philosophy and how he operated. And he followed up on that. So, First of all, the ESOP construct you should encourages you work together anyway, mm -hmm. because if the company is successful, we all benefit from the success in the ESOP and the stock price. But this was really solidifying it even further. So I think that was a very smart move, and it was learning from how to approve upon previous business models that he had seen. So th that's extraordinary. I will comment on three things. I've been at three different types of companies that I've been a part of. The first one was a privately owned company that I mentioned where the profits of the company really go into the owner or it might be two or three owners. And by and large, those go in their mm -hmm. line, their pockets, and they do very well. Second type was a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. Nichols Research was a publicly traded company. And that drives a different type of behavior from the leadership. They are driven. They are beholden to the investment community. They have to get 
quarterly earnings reports out, and they have to report to the investment community. So they're under a lot of pressure to do things that will get good numbers, and then the stock will perform well. Mm -hmm. And many times what they'll do is they'll cause changes that will affect the employees in a negative way to pump up the bottom line. Hmm. Then you look at Torch. As a employee-owned ESOP company, we don't have those pressures. We don't have to think short-term. We don't have to think in three-month segments. We can think long-term. We can think one year. We can think five years. And so that has really shaped the way that Bill and Don behaved. At most companies, if you lost a contract, pink slips go out right away. Mm. Torch, we value our employees, and they're like family. And so we work hard to place them. And so time and time again, that was demonstrated. And that gets a certain loyalty back yeah. to the company. For sure. And I mean, I couldn't imagine jumping into that in 2006. And like you said, you knew a little bit about what Bill had created because you've been getting lunch with him, but then actually being a part of it and jumping all in, is it was probably overwhelming for that first year. I couldn't even imagine. A huge sort of topic that I now kind of want to discuss is that you were recently promoted to president of Torch at the beginning of this year in January. What was it like getting that distinction after you've had 16 plus years of a career here at Torch and then also you, the career you've had prior to coming to Torch? What was that distinction like and sort of how do those experiences prior help prepare you for now? Yeah. So first of all, I'll just say it was a big honor to be selected by you know Bill Rourke and John Watson to step into those are some big shoes to fill. And you're looking at a very entrepreneurial founder of the company, and then John Watson, who's been serving as president and CEO of Torch now for a very long time. That was very nice. My preparation, because I came in, in on the ground floor as a member of the technical staff, and then just kind of built up organizations over time. So I had a directorate, then a division, then a business unit, then we formed a new part of organization called a group where you have multiple business units. So I've progressively moved through the management chain and as we have evolved as a company. And so that has helped to prepare me mm -hmm. for this role. But there was so much new <laughs> in the new role that yeah. I did not have insight into that. Now I do. And it's a fairly steep climb <laughs> to get to where you're comfortable because it's kind of behind the curtain now. Yeah. Whereas before I was more, even running a group, which was at the time about half of the business lines of the company, there's still a lot of things that I did not have visibility into. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I mean, how drastically has your day-to-day -day life or day-to-day -day work life changed now with this president promotion in January versus what you were doing maybe even last year at this time? It's completely different. <laughs> now I am concerned with all aspects of the company. And before I was managing the business lines for a part of the company, and I now see things from a different lens. I see things very differently, and I have to look across all those business lines, and you have to think about the impact that may happen here that can cause something in another area. Wow. And before, I just didn't have quite that take on mm -hmm. it, and only to a limited degree. And so this has changed a lot for me. The schedule is just crazy. It's very different and it's fun. It's a lot of junk. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah, I bet. It takes a lot out of you in terms of energy. <laughs> I bet. Sometimes I bet. you go home on the weekend and you just recover. Yeah, you're wishing that weekend was maybe four or five days instead of Absolutely. two days. So you're just trying to catch up. I couldn't even imagine. And I mean, just like you said, you've seen Torch grow. You've been a part of Bill's sort of life and kind of a part of what seeing his business document even at Nichols and then kind of seeing it now. I mean, I, I couldn't even 
imagine now thinking, okay, well, it's 2023 and I'm now the president of Torch, which for years you were like, oh, I'll be there eventually. I'll eventually come. I'll eventually come. And now you're all in on Torch. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but a lot of the mindset that's kind of been in the conversation throughout the podcast is forward thinking. It's always, what are we going to do in two years, five years, 10 years down the road? But probably as president now, you still kind of have to think, what are some of the yearly goals that we do have? And that's still mm-hmm. a part of your mindset. Looking at now, we're in August of 2023. What are some goals that you have for Torch sort of to finish off the year, as well as some long-term three to five-year goals? Right. So we go through an annual strategic planning process. This is something that we've been doing for, gosh, probably 13 or 14 years now. We had brought in outside consultant who trained us on how to perform strategic planning. And so we put that process in play ever since then. So we are constantly doing that. And we typically look kind of on a two-year horizon. So right now we're executing our plan and typically, we these goals might span over multiple years sometimes in terms of the execution on them. It's always been taking a look at, we do what's called a SWOT analysis, where mm-hmm. we look at our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And that helps kind of shape what our goals are going to be. So in some cases, our goals are going to be inward focused, taking a look at improvements that we need to make that we know we want to do as we continue to grow on this trajectory and maintaining the culture. So this year, one of our big goals is in improving communications. We realized that, and we had an outside company come in and kind of assess us to determine how well are we doing with our communications. And we got back a report on that and we realized, hey, we're not being intentional enough mm. about our communications and we kind of have become very mechanical about it. Okay. So. They were like, you need to think about really what it is you're trying to message and use opportunities in different venues to get the message out, say, like on the ESOP, for example, and really helping employees, especially the younger employees who haven't been here long, who don't really have an understanding on it. What does it mean financially? What does it mean from a culture perspective, from a long-term future for planning for their retirement? Things like that. We're starting to message that and help them really understand the value proposition of what it brings to the table and our benefit plans and how the amount that we put into retirement is such a big deal for them. Yeah. So it's things like that. And that's one of our major goals. So there's a lot of sub goals associated with (laughs) that. And so we're executing on that. That's going to take two years for us to really get those out. One of the other things that we look at is too, is sustainability to be sustainable as a company. So You're familiar with the fact that we are certified evergreen and that we've been focused on Bill's real vision for the company is that it continue in perpetuity. With that mindset, we have goals associated with that. So, for example, succession planning and leadership development, those two go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. right? So those are things that we take a look at because when you think about sustainability, You have to be very careful about bringing in external leaders from other companies into this culture and into this environment. We have to be very selective about that. And so we have, in general, a rule where we bring in only, say, 20% into that and 80% we're going to develop within. So that drives our behaviors in terms of leadership development and the kind of offerings we make. And we bring in external training. We do internal training as well. But that really shapes significantly how we progress through time in terms of bringing in a next level of leadership really at all levels. Yeah. 
I think we talked about it a lot on the podcast and we, we did the whole series at the beginning with Bill talking about the certified evergreen and kind of all the distinctions along the way and all the different principles that they talk about right. just to try to address and inform the employees here at Torch. The last couple of questions, if someone's listening and maybe they just started their career here at Torch, maybe they're in their first five years here in the first three years, maybe they just started last month. What's one piece of advice that you'd give them today that kind of would hopefully propel them and continue to drive them in their future here at Torch? I would say, look at those around you that are role models. Observe what other people are doing. Learn from that. You'll see the people very quickly that are the ones that are doing the right things, that are behaving the right behaviors, and learn from that. And then you'll also see behaviors that aren't as good (laughs) and things that aren't, whether it be technical, whether it be in a management, observe all of that Mm. and be a sponge, absorb that. And then gravitate towards those that exhibit the traits that uh, you know are positive and go talk to them, spend time with them, and you can ask them to mentor you. (laughs) And they may or may not do that, (laughs) but you can go sit in their office 10, 15 minutes on any given day and they will talk to you. I assure you that they will talk to you because people love to share their knowledge. And so just get a piece of that. And you'll start to feel more a part of the company when you do that, and it will help you adjust. So I say also just give it time. (laughs) And we've seen that once someone's been in the company for like three years, the attrition rate goes way down. Yeah. Be patient. And once you start to understand what our culture is and then how the ESOP works, you're likely to stay. Yeah. Last couple questions. Looking at your journey this far, as far as graduating from UAB, having a couple jobs before Nichols, working at Nichols, meeting Bill Rorick, now working at Torch for the last 17 years, becoming president of the company in January. How much of your success would you contribute to being in the right place at the right time? And how much would you contribute to your hard work? I do feel fortunate that I've been in the right place at the right time. And that's happened all throughout my life. Sometimes it's making the right choices. I'm not that smart, okay? (laughs) So sometimes you get lucky, but you're searching for that right thing for you. And once I recognized it and I found that, I didn't deviate from that and continued on that path. So Bill normally ends our episodes by challenging the employees at Torch that it's up to them to keep our dream alive. What does this statement mean to you now as president? And what did it maybe mean to you when you first started your career and then the journey it took to then now become president? Well, that's a good question. I think in the early days, it was really focusing on technical execution Mm -hmm. for the customer. At the end of the day, we've got to perform for our customers. And my view on it is we should always strive to exceed our customer expectations. If we do that, they will do whatever it takes to come back to us. We live and die by competing for contracts. Mm -hmm. And so if we are making ourselves indispensable to our customers, they're going to come back and hire us time and time again. They'll do whatever it takes to do that. So my advice is do that. Take ownership of the work that you do and exceed your customer expectations. If we do that at all levels, the rest will be relatively easy. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for spending the last couple of minutes, last 25 or so minutes talking with me about your journey to now become the president of Torch Technologies. I continue to look forward to the success you're going to have in this position for years to come. And as always, if you're listening to this and you want to find out more about Torch Technologies, you can visit their website, torchtechnologies.com today for career opportunities and just to find out more about the company. But thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Keeping the Dream Alive podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and stay connected with us on social media for news and updates surrounding the company. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed it.